I promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Well, our sermon text this morning comes from Romans chapter 6, beginning at the 12th verse. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you now are ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. When I say the word law, what do you think of? What comes to mind? You can do word association. I say law, you think what? Rules? What else? Police? Okay. Enforcement? Ten commandments? Okay. What else? Okay. We, we, usually, we usually go the route of rules, right? The laws, the things that are written down that we're not supposed to do or the things that we're supposed to do, right? The things that we just confessed that we were not able to do or the things that we wish we could have done that we were not able to do this week, right? We just confess that we're lawbreakers. That's okay. That's a sermon for another time. When I was at seminary, uh, one of the big lines that was used by Dr. Hamig in our, in our confessions class is she always went back to the Heidelberg, Cate- or Heidelberg Disputation where Luther uses this line, the law always accuses. The law always accuses us. And then she said this great thing. She said, every time you read the law from now on in the, in the scriptures, just like Pastor Chris is trying to get us to change uh, using the word justification to righteousness, Right? 
because righteousness is a more personal thing. It's a, it's a pretty word. It's a gorgeous word. It has so much to it, whereas justification is like this legal thing, right? She said the same thing. With the law, change the word to demand, okay? Where, whereas oftentimes when we read the word law, we want to think Ten Commandments, right? We want to think moral law, things we're not supposed to do. How about instead changing it to demand, the things that come to us and demand of us? Tell us that we should be doing something and we're not. Things that tell us that we should be doing something but don't give us the power to do them. For instance, the speed limit sign, as I've said before in Pastor Chris, will tell you you're supposed to go this speed in this zone, but it won't make your car go that speed, right? It'll tell you what you can't do or what you're supposed to be doing, but it can't give you the power to do it. So the law always comes to us and accuses us. And so changing things over from law to demand to expectation, it then broadens things out to where we can move away, in in a sense, and we're going to do that this morning, move away from the moral law in the sense of all the thou shalts and thou shalt not. And And I want to live in the world of the demand, the law as demand, because all of you have that over your head all the time. Now, let me, let me give you an example. Uh, for me, personally, this, this came a, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, a few years ago, there was a study done, and, and, and the, head, the headlines have been, been hitting up all over uh, social media lately, and I don't know why. But anyways, uh, here, here's this headline that comes as law. People who walk fast tend to be less happy. Okay? People who walk fast tend to be less happy. I say that comes as law, because it comes as law to me. I am a fast walker. Just come to Disneyland with me sometime. I've got the Disney walk down. We go there. It's mission. Let's go. We have people to see, rides to go on, food to eat. Don't get in the way of my corn dog, right? And uh, so much so that I have a special sling bag that I put all my Disney pins on because I like trading pins. It also has an oh crap handle for my wife to hold on to. As we're walking through the park, she jokes that she's going to get a, a, a balloon, one of those big Mickey balloons, and tie it around my wrist so she can find me. Um, but anyways, I'm a fast walker. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't need to be Disneyland. It could be the mall. It could be out hiking, whatever. I'm on a mission. And this comes as a law to me, as demand, because this word says to me that I'm unhappy, even though I don't think I am. It says to me, well, you shouldn't be like this or else you would be happy. Or you'd maybe be more happy. So what ends up happening? I'm at the mall, or I'm at Disneyland, or I'm out hiking, or I'm doing whatever, and I'm walking fast. What do I start thinking about? Am I happy? Am I happy? Or worse, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy. Or be happy, be happy. You know, trying to, trying to slow down a little bit. You're walking too fast. Slow down. If people see you walking too fast, they might think you're unhappy. That's even worse, right? What people think of us, what they perceive in us. So it comes as law. It comes as demand because what it says to me is there's something wrong with you. Fix it. What is that for you? Body image? 
Your, your, your exercise regimen or lack thereof, how much money you have, what your job says about you, what your house says about you. Anybody still clean up their house uh, when their mom's coming over because they don't want her to think that it's, uh, you're, you're a messy slob? Yes, I do. Um, hi, Mom, by the way. Yeah. Guys, the tough guy image, i got to be tough. No crying, right? Or ladies, thanks to feminism, strong woman. <laughs> Hear me roar. Right? These demands, these expectations that come to us. What is your fast walking? What is it that the world comes to you in the human laws? Because we have God's law, which is good and holy and all these things, but then what do we do as people who want to be God? We create our own laws. And we say, okay, just do this and you will be, for instance, happy. Right? What are those things that come to you? What's your fast walking? What is the condemnation that comes to you? The things that you sit here and go, oh, I wish I just wouldn't do this. Things would be, things would be better. Well, Paul, here in chapter 6, and I'm, I'm going to deal with the opening few verses because we didn't have those in our reading, and then, then we'll, we'll get into the meat of what we have. He, he's just gotten done with that first third of the letter, which, been ta- which has been talking about justification by faith. And that whole time, what he's doing is he's stealing the law from us. He's stealing the demands from us. That's what justification by faith does. It steals all those expectations away from you so that you cannot place demands and expectations on others to say, oh, you better be like this or else. And it's the same thing for you, them doing that to you. But then he he comes to chapter 6, and as I said at the beginning of the service, he wants to take all that stuff, all that justification by faith, all that saved by grace through faith, all that stuff, he wants to be able to tell you, well, this is why it matters. This is how it's applied to you. This is how it's given to you. And of course, someone comes to him with the rhetorical question of, well, you know, if it's it's grace, so we can just go out and do whatever we want, right? That's the question that gets asked. Shouldn't we just keep on sinning so that grace can abound? Because grace is so awesome. We can just do whatever it is we want to, can't we, Paul? And if Paul, Paul, of course, in the Greek says, heck no. That's what it says. Heck no. No, you can't do that. And this is the reason why. These are the words that he uses to tell you why. You are dead. That's what he says to you here in chapter 6. He says, you can't continue in sin because you're dead. Dead Corpses can't sin. They can stink, but they can't sin. But also, he wants to make sure that you understand that the life that you now live is not your own. Right? You've been crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but Christ lives within you. Yeah? Well, he gives us the great baptismal verses here in chapter 6 that we've heard a billion times. Verses 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Hmm? Do you know that? Baptism? You died? Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. He's sitting here beginning at the very beginning of all things saying, okay, let's talk about justification by faith applied to you while you're dead. And there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. There's nothing that you can do to get rid of the demands, get rid of the expectations, because you are dead. 
your old self, your attachment to sin. Our sin itself, he tells us in verses 6 and 7, was crucified with Christ. The old covenant is gone. The new covenant has come. We are no longer slaves to sin, he says, because we have died and are hidden with Christ in God. That's Colossians 3.3. 3. So that's what he lays out of, of you are dead. He pronounces the death sentence over you, and then now he wants to go into application of understanding and, and, and all of these things. And so we get to verse 12, and it begins with a therefore. And teachers, what's the important thing to know when you see the word therefore? You need to know, well, you need to know what the there is for, right? That's what my mom always said. It says, therefore, because you are dead, Therefore, because you have died and you are hidden with Christ in God, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey their desires. I'm going to be doing some translating for you this morning because I don't like some of our translation uh, that, that we have here. Um, and so I'm going to be changing some words a little bit to give you a little bit of depth, but, but it will be okay. Therefore, because you are dead, do not let sin have kingship over you. Do not let sin, do not let the demands, do not let the expectations, do not let the law be your king anymore. So that you obey, and I don't like the word obey either. It's actually, the, the word come is, is made up of the same word that we use for listening. And the sense of the word is subjecting yourselves as a servant, bowing the knee, saying, you are my master. Because Many of us, some of you served in the military, you can be given an order, and you'll go and you'll obey that order, but you don't necessarily like your commanding officer, right? You don't necessarily think that they're your master, or husbands, you can be told to do something by your wife, and you might do it begrudgingly, but you do it anyways, right? This subjugating ourselves, becoming subservient to our own desires. He's basically saying, because you are dead, Know that you are no longer under the kingship of sin. You are no longer under the kingship of the demand, the condemnation of the law. You died. Being dead, you have been freed. You can't order a corpse around. Right? First of all, it's going to be frustrating for you. You're going to say, sit up, and it's just going to lay there. Then after a while, it's going to stink. You're dead, and therefore these things have no more control over you. And so then he takes it a step further, and he says, because of all this stuff, no longer continually offer yourselves to sin in, in essence of living out these particular things as, as, as instruments of unrighteousness, but offer yourselves once and for all. Finally do it to God. And here I love this because it's a participle, and I love participles in Greek. To God as the living from the dead ones is what it says. You are living from the dead ones. You've been brought back to life in Christ, made alive in him. And so therefore the sense is of no longer giving ourselves over to sin because that doesn't give us life. But who gives us life? Christ, God, out of humility, out of indebtedness, we say, yes, Lord. In your mercies, guide me. And then he brings it up to 11 in verse 14. We already had this. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the conviction of the law, but under grace. I'm adding that because that is what it means. For, for sin will have no dominion over you, no lordship over you. Here now and in the future, it has no 
lordship or kingship over you. Because you are no longer under the conviction of the things that you are unable to do and the things that you wish you could do that you can't and the things that you did that you shouldn't have done because now you are under grace. You are under gift. The law comes to us and it commands us. It demands of us. It convicts us of what we haven't done and cannot do. But grace comes to us and says, here's Jesus. He's on me. And so then the question comes again. People, people are thinking of that, that Bonhoeffer line of, of cheap grace, and I really don't like that because there, is there anything cheaper than free? I don't know. Maybe if they pay you while they give you the thing? I don't know. Should we sin because we are not under law or under the condemnation of the law? But under grace, and of course, Paul again says, by no means, it's this sense of, well, can we, you know, should, should we continue to live that life, uh, being able to do whatever it is that we want to do? Uh, hedonism, basically, go out and do whatever we want to, because we know that works really well with children, right? Let them do whatever they want to. It always ends well. Someone usually ends up in the hospital, right? Or in jail. Those are the two outcomes, usually. And so he uses a, a, a human argument. He says, do you not know that if you offer yourselves to anyone as, as subservient slaves, as, as slaves in subjection, as those who have, have given themselves over to this master, you are slaves of the one whom you subject yourselves, he says, either of sin, which leads to death, the things that we try to do or the things that we try to fix on our own that we can't fix and we're still going to die anyways, or, or the subjugation uh, to God, which leads to righteousness and life, trusting that God is going to raise us from, from the dead. Talking about this, 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 this question of who we enslave ourselves to, which master are, are, we, are we serving? And so then he lays it out for us directly of this whole master-slave relationship. And he starts it by in verse 17. But thanks be to God that being slaves of sin, you became subservient from the heart to the form of teaching or the pattern of teaching or the way of teaching. And you can see this in your... In your uh, bulletin uh, where it says from the heart to the form of teaching and our our translation says to which you were entrusted horrible translation nowhere close within the realm of what the greek says because what it says is because thanks be to god because you were slaves of sin but somehow by the grace of god you've become subservient from the heart to this teaching to this word that has come to you not to but by which you have been handed over. The Greek word that we translate for entrusted is the word for handed over, paradidomi. It's the same word that's used for when Judas hands over Jesus. It's the word that's used for the handing over of goods from one ownership to the other. The handing over of these goods. That you were under one master, and now you're under another master. And that you, having been set free from sin, he says, have become enslaved to righteousness. You've been brought under this new Lord, this new master who is Lord of your life, Jesus Christ. 
Last week, we celebrated a holiday, right? That's kind of controversial for some people. Juneteenth. Some people find it controversial. I have no idea why. I'm a historian. I sit here and go, we probably should have been celebrating the end of slavery in this country for quite a long time. We were rather slow with it, and we want to make it political. It's not political. It's a human thing, but also, as Christians, we should be celebrating it because it's the perfect example of what the gospel does. Because Juneteenth celebrates what? It's the anniversary of what? The Emancipation Proclamation. What was the Emancipation Proclamation? Lincoln writes this proclamation saying to all the slaves in all of the United States and Confederate States of America, what? You are free. Right? It's a word. It's a proclamation to say from now on you are free. Well, how about the slaves in Georgia still in their chains, seeing their masters with the whips, looking around going, I don't really feel free. But it was this declaration to say, no, you are free. You are free. That is the gospel that comes to us. We can look around our world and we can go, wait, wait, what? I'm free? Well, why do I keep on sinning? Why do I keep on doing these things? And God says, well, we're going to work on those things. But right now, you are free. It's a proclamation, an announcement to say, doesn't matter what happens around you or happens to you or in you or whatnot. Right now, you have been freed from sin, from the condemnation of the law. You are free. But being the sinners that we are, we don't like that. That's why Paul is having to have this chapter because, of course, he knows that we're not going to like justification by faith, that we're going to come up with those questions. So does that mean then, pastor, that I get to go out and do whatever I want to? No. Not necessarily, but but let's move it away from hedonism and let's move it into the realm of all the demands that we've been talking about, all the expectations, all the attempts that you do to try and save yourself because you do them all the time. If I just live this way, if I just do this, then, for instance, in the back of our minds, we go, well, God will love me. Hmm? Am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. Well, Paul brings it to us, and he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness is what is what the translation I have in front of me says. Uh, the words are actually uh, this idea of putting ourselves enslaved to things that cannot make us clean is what the word means. It's like if you're driving in L.A. and you got the guy come up at the stoplight and he wants to wash your windshield, but his rag is dirty. Doesn't go very well, right? Just makes it worse. Same thing. We go through life thinking that we can make ourselves clean, that we can, we can wash ourselves, that can, we can make things better, that somehow God is going to love us more or people are going to love us more. And then the word that's, that's used for, for uh, in, in the Greek, it, it's lawlessness, uh, the better way to understand it is when God comes to you and says, I am your God, and you say no. Which we do quite often, too. Either in, in, you know, subconsciously or consciously, we do it. But instead, he's saying, no, now present yourselves as slaves of righteousness, slaves of God. Having God as your Lord, why? Because he's the one who washes you clean. Like that dry erase marker. He erases it all. He washes you clean. He sets you apart. He makes you his own in sanctification. 
And then finally, skipping down to our last two verses, but now. Paul loves those two words together, but now. Here in Romans, I think he uses them four times. He'll always say, okay, so you were like this, but now. Okay, you were doing these things, but now. He says, but now that you have been freed from sin. You were enslaved to it, but now you are free. Being enslaved to God, made servants of God. The fruit you have, this this life that you have, uh, leads to the setting apart of yourself, the, the sanctification, and the end result of that is eternal life, life in him. And so we get the last verse, which we all know, which all of us probably had to memorize at VBS when we were like five, right? For the wages of sin is, but the free gift of God is, okay, good. Uh, wages, the word is this notion of earning, quite literally. And we do that all the time. But the problem is, is that we can try and earn all we want, but you're still going to die. Mortally die. But instead, what is the gift that we are given? Life in Christ, a life that we can't make of our own. It is life in Jesus. It is Jesus' life given to us. The law will not save you. Doing your very best to follow the Ten Commandments will not save you. It expects you to do everything on your own. But the gospel comes. The promise comes and says all the demands are gone because you are dead The law, your sin, those expectations can't make demands of you anymore. You have been freed through death, from death, into life. And that life is not your own. But it doesn't matter. It's life, right? If you have to get a heart transplant, you kind of don't care where the heart comes from as long as you have a heart because you want to live, right? It's the same thing. It's not your life anymore. It is Christ living in you. Because you have freed. You have been freed by death, through death. Because you have died and you are hidden with Christ in God. Thanks be to God. Amen.